Hello and welcome to the Outpost Community Church Sunday podcast. My name is Greg and we are currently going through a series in Matthew and we are so glad you tuned in. If you'd like to hear more about the vision and mission of Outpost Community Church, you can go to our website at outpostcommunity.org and you will find it there. Otherwise, we pray that you have a wonderful week of worship and that this message would inspire you to follow Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Welcome. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the room, grandfathers. Glad you're here. Also, happy birthday to the second uh, greatest blessing that's ever come into my life, Bonnie Brooks. It's her birthday today. Let's go. She's like, I hate you. Um, it's Bonnie's birthday. She is 26. It's wonderful. Uh, she's coming together. Uh, I, uh, I married young. So, well, hey, we're diving in to, this is the last passage on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. After the Sermon on the Mount, after today, we're going to go into a new series called Reset, and we're going to reset this summer and uh, to get ready for the fall, and it's going to be a great time, but today is Matthew 7. Now, has anybody ever been uh, in like hurricane weather? Anybody in the room? Anybody been in some wild wind blowing, tear your house down, it's like shaking, crazy weather? Yeah, it's like wind every Tuesday in Cody, Wyoming, right? Okay, so I want to show you a picture of this house down in Florida. You might not be able to see it. Can you guys see that house right there? Maybe I'm standing in your way. So that house right there, you see everything around it is gone. So there was a hurricane that hit the coast of Florida, and this is a picture of a house that was on all kinds of news networks. Just look at it. It still looks like they could put a for sale sign in the driveway and be like, as is, and it looks fantastic. Um, but everything around it got destroyed, okay? What do you think is different about this house versus all the houses that were around it? What was that? It's foundation. You are exactly right. It's like I picked this picture for this passage, right? I'm smarter than I look. Um, this, this house right here uh, is different than all the houses around it in one unique way. The owner paid a higher price to dig deeper in the foundation to finally hit rock. That is the only difference. Check this out. It's not missing any uh, of its roofing material. It's not missing siding. Nothing. Because the house was built on rock. Now, you can't see it from where you're sitting, but those of you in the front who are the holiest people, we all know that. You back row Baptists or way back, you can't see anything. All right? Right behind this house, I have this second photo right here for a reason. Right behind this house is an even smaller house, and it is still standing. Why do I show you that picture? Why do I say that? Why did I bring that up? Because that house that's right behind this house was not built on rock, but because of the larger house that was sitting right in front of it being founded on the rock, it was protected from the wind and the waves. Do you hear what I'm saying? Why do I show you this? I show you this because don't you want your faith to be something that when the wind and the storms come your way, and listen, our Bible is very explicit. Everyone will experience storms in their life. Some of you right now are in the midst of storms yourself. Maybe your marriage is hanging by threads. Maybe your kids are going through a sickness or an illness and it's a pain of watching them or another family member. Maybe your business is not as profitable as you thought and the summer is not as booming as much as you thought it was. Maybe you feel, you're feeling alone and you, when you're at school you feel like nobody knows you. When you go home you feel like you're not seen. Whatever the case may be, every single person have light and large storms. We're promised that's going to be something that happens. 
But there is a possibility that you can have a faith that if it's founded on the right thing, it doesn't matter what storm comes your way, you can stand. And it's not because you've got great siding. It's not because you have beautiful shingles. It's not because you've got great decking. It's because your life is built on something other than your own goodness. It's built on God. And check this out. When you come across a Christian whose life is built on the goodness of God, which is what we're going to look at today, you become a source of protection and love and sustainability for those around you. Do you believe that? Do you guys want to talk about that today? You want to be that? Here's my thesis statement. My thesis statement is this. The unstoppable life is possible for all who believe in Jesus Christ and build their life on his truth, not their own truth. Let me read it again because uh, maybe you're like me and you need things repeated. The unstoppable life is impossible for all who believe in Christ. Is possible. Okay, let me read that a third time. The unstoppable life is possible for all, listen to me, all who believe in Jesus and build their life on his truth. We're going to look at it in three different points. We're going to look at deception. Not everything that grows is good, y'all. Not everything that grows is good. We're going to look at the delusion. Not all good actions come from right belief. And then we're going to finally look at deliverance. True belief followed by right actions produces solid outcomes. All right? Deception, delusion, deliverance. Let's look at deception. Not all good things grow. Okay? Not everything that grows is good, I should say. Um, so in verses 15 through 20, uh, Jesus gives us a beware. All right? Beware. Have any of you guys ever gone to a neighborhood and you've seen this sign right here? Or you've gone into a yard, you're going to visit somebody, here's the sign. Anybody ever seen that? Does that make, when you see that sign on a fence, do you just like bust open the fence and rush into that yard? No. Why? Because dogs are scary and they have teeth and they bite and they freak you out, right? Uh, when you see this, do you appreciate that a little bit, like being warned that there's a dog inside of here, there's a dangerous animal? Yes, of course you are. If there was no sign, you walked in and suddenly you got bit by a dog, you'd be like, hey man, why don't you be beware of dog sign? You crazy? Why don't you tell me you had a dog? I'm scared of dogs. Um, side note, one time me and my brother were trying to get close to this pit bull that was on a chain, and it was like, see who could run up and touch the doghouse and get away? I was faster than my brother. He didn't get away. He got bit. I left him, okay? <laughs> but the reason was, is I went to go get my mom. Mom, Aaron got bit by a pit bull. He's over there. She's like, what do you mean? Like, because, you know, pit bulls, they don't let go. So we get over there. My brother's like crawling away, bloody. It's like, man, I'm so glad I got mom for you, bud. Beware of dog. And so what Jesus is doing here in this passage, he's saying, listen, beware. He says, there are going to be some people who are wolves. What does Jesus mean by that? He says, there are going to be some people who come in the appearance of a believer in Christ, but inwardly they are there to consume you. They are not one of us. In every church, there's always wolves trying to break in. And he says that they are ravenous, they are hungry, but they're not hungry for the Lord, they're not hungry for the righteousness of God, they're hungry for their own gain. There are people who, man, they look Christian on the outside, but inside they are Christless. There are people who attend church, they, uh, they uh, serve in ministries, they give to the mission, they even preach sermons, but... In all of that, behind all the external forms that look Christian, 
there is no internal faith. They are really not the Lord's. And so Jesus says, beware, do not be deceived. There are some people who come into the church who are looking to tear up and eat up others. Anybody ever met a wolf before? I've met some, right? So how do we know what a wolf is? How do we know a wolf is a wolf when they're so good at looking like sheep? Anybody experience that? How do we know what a wolf is? How do we recognize this, okay? Well, Jesus changes the analogy from an animal to agricultural. And he says this, you will know them by their what? By their fruit. Good crowd participation. You're going to know them by their fruit. What does that mean? Well, he says, it's kind of like this. Just as a briar patch does not produce uh, apples or fruits, so these men do, or women do not produce fruit. Now, that fruit is, uh, what is that fruit? Okay, it basically saying they do not produce the things that, uh, that come with a person who truly is a follower of Jesus. What are those? What are those fruits? Okay. Well, that's one. Listen now. Give me a chance. All right? Let me get there. I love it. I love it. Uh, but here's the thing. Before we get to what those fruits are, let me tell you something. Why is this so important? Because Jesus says in verse 19, go look at verse 19. Let's read that again. He says, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Man, I, I tell you what, there's, there's one thing I hate in this world, it's wolves. But I, my God hates the wolves as well. And he says he's going to bring judgment against these wolves. We may not know who they are, but he knows who they are. And he says, I'm a, I'm gonna, they're going to be cut down. And they're going to be thrown into the fire. They're going to be dispensed with. So I think it's really important that we understand what are the fruits. So I've got an, a, an acronym for you. And the acronym is FAST. Can everybody say FAST? Okay, we used to call these disciples uh, these fruit-bearing disciples, fat disciples, and for some reason that's offensive. So we're calling them fast disciples, okay? And so instead of faithful, available, teachable, uh, the first thing, F is this. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Congratulations. Al, he got number one. Fruit of the Spirit. Anybody know what the fruit of the Spirit is? Right? Love. Yeah, this, the, the camp song is coming up in all of you, right? Okay? But it's, it's love. You go to Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, it says that the fruit, which is a singular, okay, not plural, all of these are one fruit. It's love and joy and peace and patience, right? It's a, a list of these qualities. And these qualities are not just uh, external things that you do on the outside. These, the fruit of the Spirit are these things that exist in you on the inside. They actually begin there. The fruit of the Spirit, it begins where your spirit is, which is inside of you. And so the fruit of a follower of Christ is you're going to see that there is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness and self-control inside of these human beings. And that inside becomes their outside, okay? They're fast. But they're also, they have the fruit of the Spirit, but the A is authentic. They're also authentic. When you come across a, a, a true follower of Jesus, they are honest about who they are, okay? They are just like sheep. They know right, that they are weak and they need a shepherd, and they're honest about their weaknesses. You know the thing about sheep? They can't do anything to defend themselves. They need a shepherd to exist, and so they're honest. They're not pretending. They're not a uh, sheep out there, you know, smoking a cigarette with the wolves going, just acting like they're super cool, right? You know what happens to a sheep that tries to act like it's all cool and keep it with the wolves? It gets eaten, but these true followers of Jesus are authentic. They know, hey, I, I, my, God's power is made perfect in my weakness, and they're honest about it. They're also servant-hearted. 
These are servant-hearted people. They put the needs of others before themselves. Wolves do not do that. They're willing to share their time, talents, and treasures with others, and they're willing to do it cheerfully. It's a joy. They love to share of what they have in their life, and they love to serve others. When they hear that there's a need to, to serve the smallest among us and teach them the word of God downstairs, they're going, hey, how can I be a part of that need? Or they're already so busy doing it, they go, hey, I can't because I'm already doing all these other things. They're a servant-hearted people. And lastly, they're teachable. It's one of my favorite qualities. They're teachable. They do not assume they're right. They take off the garments of pride and they put on, dress themselves with humility. So they never believe they can go it alone. They believe that they need other people to help them. So they try to surround themselves with others who can teach them and guide them. And through their authenticity, these people now know who they are. That's what it means to be a fast disciple. These are just a few key signs or the fruit of the uh, uh, following Jesus. This is what reveals you're a follower of Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. How fast are you? How fast are you? Anybody in this room go like, yeah, I can sometimes not have the fruit of the Spirit. I can tend to not be so loving. Or, man, I can kind of I can be partly authentic, but when it comes to that last 2%, man, it's hard to talk about. Or, you know, I can be, a, instead of servant-hearted, I'm a little self-centered. Or instead of being teachable, Greg, I, I can be a little bit arrogant and going, yeah, 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 but I think I know better. Anybody like that in this room? That's me. All right, so thank you to those who raise your hand. You're the only truthful people in the room. Okay? Uh, and this is why I appreciate the agricultural analogy. So let me just, just share something with you. I love that he talks about fruit because, hey, if you've ever planted a seed or ever tried to grow something, does it grow overnight? No, it doesn't. And neither does a Christian. It takes time. Fruit is something that takes time. Love is not something you... When I became a Christian, I've told this story before, when I became a Christian, I really did think I was never going to sin again. I was poorly discipled. I found out 45 minutes later, uh, oh, apparently you still sin. Right? A week later, I was like deep in I was like, what? I feel like I'm exactly the same person. It's like, yes, you are. Welcome to the journey with Jesus. You, know? uh, you don't start off fast. It takes time. Now, my daughter and my son, they think that they're fast. Right? My, my son, Boone, will come to me, Dad, look how fast I am. He takes off and he's running around. But my son has, still has a lot of room to grow to becoming fast. So I say that to you guys because I think it's really important to say that uh, just as not every sheep... Uh, is a sheep. Sometimes it's a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Not every wolf is a wolf. Some of us are sheep. We just look super ragged, <laughs> right? We're just super ragged. And I got to tell you, there's been times where I've taken a shot at a sheep thinking it was a wolf, right? And there's times in my life where I've allowed somebody in close to my life that I thought was a sheep, and then they had biting me. Anybody ever experienced that? Turns out they're a wolf. They're there to take advantage. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, is what Jesus says. Here's what you need to know. Wolves will always show themselves in time. Do not be deceived. A wolf can only keep up the act for so long. And the closer you get to a wolf, closer you get to seeing how authentic they really are, they're going to keep you at a distance. Why? Because as you begin to pull up that fur, you're going to find out there's something else there. They don't want you to get close to them. They'll show themselves eventually. Everybody does. But a follower of Jesus will say, man, yeah, I'm a sheep, but man, I can have some wolf-like tendencies. I'm still growing. I'm in process. So here's what I would say. Number one, the number one thing we need to be looking for is this. We need to be looking to see, number one, do they have the fruit of the Spirit? 
Are they authentic? Are they servant-hearted, teachable? We should be asking ourselves, are we that? Are we deceiving other people so that we could get something out of it? That's what it means to be a wolf. But number two, we should also be looking to see if the attributes that are in somebody, are these things increasing and enduring over time? Do you hear what I'm saying? Let me say it again. Are these things, the fastest, are, is, it be, is it increasing and is it enduring over time? Because following Jesus takes time. That's why Paul uh, prays for the Philippian church in Philippians 1. He says this, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So guys, verses 15 through 20 are just a warning to us. Hey, don't be deceived. There are some people who are going to come in, and they're playing the game, but they're doing it so they can get something out of it. They just found, they found Christianity as a way to do it. So don't be deceived. So when I go through this passage, and I was reading through this, I was kind of talking to my wife a little bit last night, is I can start to ask a question that maybe some of you guys ask. Am I a wolf? Like, have you ever asked in your faith, man, am I really saved? Anybody ever felt that? Am I saved? Because you have those moments where you're like, man, I'm, I'm really doing good. I've been consistently attending, and I read my Bible, and, you know, I gave recently, and, you know, I, I opened that door for that woman that one time, and she was cute, but I still opened it for her, you know, like, and you go, man, like, maybe I'm doing all right, and then one day, Boom. You do something that you go, man, that's not characteristic of Father Christ. You lose your temper. You look at something you didn't, uh, you say you don't look at. You, uh, you, you know, you, you, you lied about something. You didn't tell the whole truth, right? You, uh, you begin, you're like, man, I've gone like a month and I haven't read my Bible or whatever the case may be. And suddenly, because the, the performance is not there, you're like, man, am I even saved? Anybody ever felt that? Man, am I saved? Or maybe you're somebody, you go, man, I, I think I'm good. I have been attending, I have been reading my Bible, you know, I, I haven't gotten drunk, I don't sleep around, I haven't been doing these things. It's like, yeah, like, as far as I can tell, maybe I'm all right. I'm okay. Here, I want to tell you, whether you think that you're not saved or you think you are, you may be in a delusion. You may be in a delusion. You may be deluded. And partly it's because you don't have a right belief. Like I said, delusion. Not all good actions come from right belief. Guys, this is so important you hear this. This is probably one of the scariest passages in the New Testament. Let me reread it to you. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name or do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is confusing. Anybody ever been confused by this passage? Let me boil it down into some real succinct points. Here's what it says. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will be saved. Did you see that? Only those who do the will of the Father. Some will list their good deeds. Here's what I've done. But Jesus will remind them that they don't know each other. And then Jesus will send them away. That's all he says. Okay. The best way that I can describe this is there's a group of people who are going to come to the Lord and they're going to be under delusion. They're going to think they have access to the kingdom of heaven, into the Father's kingdom because of the way they've lived their life. Now, let's rewind for a second and let's just talk about what we talked about in the first point. And the first point was this, uh, that 
there are going to be people who are going to be deceiving, but the fruit of following Jesus is what? They have the fruit of the Spirit, they're authentic, they're servant-hearted, they're teachable. And Jesus, I'm telling you that Jesus is asserting, when you see these kind of things in a person, you go, oh, those guys must be from the Father. Those people must be Jesus' disciples. But doesn't it sound like right here, guys, that Jesus is saying, yeah, but that's not always the case. Doesn't it sound like what he's saying? Yeah, that's not always the case. That's exactly right. He is saying it's not always the case. Because listen, just because someone claims to be a Christian, just because somebody lives in a narrow way doesn't mean they've gone through the narrow gate. Anybody can say that they're a Christian. Anybody can say that they're whatever they are. They can say that they're a kitty cat, right? And they can go to school and tell everybody they're a cat. But they're not right? That's reality. But you could say that you're a Christian, but there's, there's going to come a day where there's going to be a proof, right? And Jesus is saying, hey, not all are going to make it through now. So the, the other day, uh, I, I went and attended the planning and zoning meeting where they were talking about the New Mormon Temple. And while I was standing there, you know, it was a pile of people. If you went there, there was a lot of people there. It's really amazing. It was like a social experiment. I was like, I just stood in the back and was like, this is interesting. And uh, one of my friends who was a Mormon came up to him. And we started to have a conversation, and he he asked me what I think about it. And because he's really nice, he wouldn't disagree with anything I said. And, but we were talking, and eventually, I'm going to use this as an example. Eventually, he said to me, he goes, uh, or I said to him, I was like, you know, I said, friend, you need to listen. Listen to me. Uh, we Christians do not believe that Mormons are Christians. I go, I'm telling you right now, you're not a Christian. He goes, well, you know, we would see it different. I go, I'm sorry, man. That's just not what... It's not what the Bible says, what you believe. He goes, well, it's like right there on our building. It says the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I said, man, you could say whatever you want. It doesn't mean that's who you are. I said, let me give you an example, okay? I said, when I was a kid, I loved to watch Barney, okay? I loved to watch him. Uh, he's really funny and makes silly jokes, talked in a weird voice, whatever. And uh, it was just really great. I said, what are you thinking about right now when I say Barney? I said, are you thinking about the big purple dinosaur? And he said, yeah. I said, well, that's cool. I was just talking about Barney Fife. And uh, for the younger people in the room, it's a totally different show and a totally different person. <laughs> They're like, I don't even know who the purple dinosaur is, right? Use Bluey as an example. Well, uh, here's the thing. So I, I told him, I was like, buddy, when you say Jesus and I say Jesus, we're not talking about the same person. We're not talking about the same person. You could say you are whatever you want to say you are. But at the end of the day, if you do not know who Jesus is, it doesn't matter how good you are. Do you hear me? It does not matter how good you are. Look at verse 22. It says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Uh, Didn't we do mighty works in your name? These are pretty impressive. Anybody done any of these? They're impressive. What's Jesus doing? I think Jesus is the most brilliant man who's ever existed. That's not really a crazy claim in this room. But he's brilliant because what he's doing is he's using a hyperbole to show you guys how ridiculous it is that you think that because you've attended a church in Jesus' name that you're saved, that you've done any good thing in your life and you happen to be saved because of that good thing. And he's going to say to those people, he goes, listen, he's, I'm going to declare, he says, you've done these things in my name. He goes, but I, in my name now say to you, I don't know who you are. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. I don't know you. And a brilliant point is made. And guys, you have to understand this. There's a group of people standing before Jesus 
and they are listing the good things that they've done, and some of them in Jesus' name. And he says, you missed the whole point. No one is good. Romans 3 tells us, no, not one. He goes, are you going to stand here in front of me uh, and, and tell me that I owe you access because of the way you live? That's not how this works. I did not go to a cross for no reason. I went to a cross because, buddy, you're not good. Sister, you're not good. And because you chose to rely on your deeds, chose to uh, rely on your pretty family, not being nice, attending churches, doing all these things, because you relied on that, I'm sorry, but you never invested in the relationship with me. You don't, I don't know who you are. So I need you to move because I got others who are coming. And, and so here's what I would say. Uh, Hebrews 9.27. So when he says, on that day, he says, on that day, I will. What does on that day mean? It means that there's a day coming where all of us are going to have to stand before the Lord and be judged. Every single one of us. That's either at your death or it's the day, what's called the great day of the Lord when the Lord returns, okay? And uh, he says, you're going to have to stand there. And Hebrews 9.27 says, and it's appointed that all men should die, and after that comes judgment. Let me tell you something. Uh, I'm going to keep using Mormons as a great example because it's so funny how many people, how many more, or how many people think that Mormons and Christians are the same. I just want to tell you something. They're just not, not even close. And so... Uh, I was sitting on a basketball court at the rec center, and I was playing basketball with a bunch of young Mormon missionaries. And um, again, I'm a pastor. I never tell them that. I don't wear a name tag that says pastor and then, you know, of whatever. And, but they were all playing basketball, and it said, you know, elders of Church of Jesus Christ. I said, and so I asked them. I, I knew what I was doing. I said, hey, guys, it says elder. Tell me what, why do y'all put elder on that? And so it kicked off the conversation. And uh, I ruined basketball for everybody. But we were having a conversation, we are talking, and one of these young guys, very honestly, very authentically, very proud of this guy, um, he said, you know, I just, he goes, listen, I believe in Jesus. And I was like, great, man, I do too. And he goes, I just, I just don't believe that I can stand before him if I don't do my best in this life. He said, I don't believe that I could be comfortable standing before him. And I said, man, you know what? You're right. I was like, you're not going to be comfortable. You're not going to be comfortable. Uh, I said, but I am. And I told him Hebrews 9.27. Right? I said, you're right, man. Hebrews 9.27. So it's a point that uh, all men should die, and after that comes judgment. I was like, you're right. You're going to be judged. I was like, can I tell you what's the difference between what you're going to experience and what I'm going to experience, what I believe? He goes, sure. I was like, well, it's, it's Hebrews 9.28. It's Hebrews 9.28. Let me tell you what it says. It says, and appointed that all men should die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let me read that again just in case you missed it. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are what? eagerly waiting for him. I said, you are anxiously waiting for judgment. I am eagerly waiting for my friend. I said, now that's the difference. The only thing that matters to Jesus, he, listen, he knows you will never be good enough. So he's not sitting around waiting for you to be good enough. Did you know that? The only thing that matters, Jesus reveals it to you. He goes, calm down with the the list of good deeds. Do you know me? 
Do you know me? You know what the Father's, this reveals to us what the Father's will is. The Father's will is that you know who the Son is, that you know him. That's what it's about. It's in knowing Jesus that we experience true salvation and acceptance, guys. When you, uh, what does that mean? It means this. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are justified for your sin. When you believe in him and say, you are the Lord of my life, I want you. I was a sinner in my own way. All it did was reap just a bunch of pain and briars and getting caught and, uh, and barbed wire my life. But I want to go your way now. I want to stop blowing through your fences. I want to respect your boundaries. But I want to follow you. I want to be your son. And you are justified. But you know you're not just justified. And Jesus doesn't just want to save you. He wants to be your friend. God wants to be your father. He wants to walk with you. So when you believe in Jesus, it's not just about justification. After justification comes relationship. Comes partnership. Comes walking together. That's why we see heaven improperly is because we see heaven as we've been accessed. We, we feel like we've been given uh, like, like one of those little mailers that says, you know, you've been given a free cruise. Somebody paid for you, right? Like, we think somebody, like, paid for a cruise, and we're just going to now, we're going to sail away and just enjoy time. No, it's you've been invited to the family reunion. You're going to go hang out with some, with some people. You're going to go hang out with the Lord. That's heaven. If that's not heaven for you, then you don't understand what this whole thing is about. And so that is what it is all about. I think nothing summarizes the first two points, like 1 John 2, specifically verse 28 and 29. It says this, now, little children, abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Okay, guys, listen. Uh, What does this mean? It means that if your hope is in your deeds, it is a false hope. And you will arrive to Jesus and he'll go, hey, I understand that you tried hard, but I want to tell you, you could never try hard enough and I don't know you. That's a false hope. If you, your hope is in that your parents are Christians and your family is a Christian family, let me just tell you, you will stand before Jesus and he will look at you and say, I know your mom and your dad. I don't know you. I know your mom and dad, and I also know that you have no excuse because they shared it with you, but you decided not to follow them. You've been pretending your whole life. Some of you, it's your kids are following Jesus, and you're here with your kids, and you're pretending. Your kids may have a faith, but here's the thing about Christianity. You're not born a Christian. You're reborn a Christian. Every single person has to make the choice if they want to follow Christ. In a Mormon family, you're born Mormon, but in Christianity, you choose to be reborn in the image of Christ, and he offers that to all of us. If you think you're going to arrive to heaven and your hope is that because you were a little bit or a lot bit better than the people around you and you're going to stand before Jesus and go, yeah, but I'm better than them, right? I didn't struggle with all the things. How are you going to let this guy in and you're not going to let me in? And he's going to go, I know that guy. Yeah, he's a mess. He's, he's, like, he's a sheep that looks like a wolf sometimes, but I know him. I don't know you. That's going to be the difference. Have I made it clear? Do you guys see? You have to ask yourself, do you know the Lord? You, if you think that you're getting in for any of those reasons, you're under a delusion. You've been poorly discipled, and I'm here to be your friend and say it comes down to a knowledge of Jesus. 
That's what it's all about. And through knowing Jesus and hanging with Jesus and abiding with Jesus, you will become righteous. You're going to start to follow him. And this is what leads us to what it's like to live in the indomitable, unstoppable life, to have true deliverance through every storm. Because deliverance, it's true belief followed by right action, which produces solid outcomes. You ready? Let me reread this. This story I want to read to you is so important to me. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall. Didn't fall. Didn't say anything else about the house, did it? What's the house? What's the description of the house? What? Come on, guys. It's what? It's built on rock. That's the only thing you know about it. It could be a shanty, but it's built on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Didn't say anything about that house. That house could be a mansion. It could be a beautiful $10 million house on the beach. But if it's built on the sand. So this parable is, here's why I would say it's important to me. Uh, I didn't grow up in a, uh, a Christian home. That's what I would, uh, what I would say. Um, but first, uh, now, my family, uh, my parents are Christians now. My real dad is not. So when I was a kid, though, for some reason, in my grandparents' house, there was this book. It was a kid's book. And it was this story made into a kid's book. And I remember this day because it's one of the first books that I ever remember reading. And so I was reading this book. And so the way I would communicate with my dad, who at the time was in prison, was through letters. And so one day I decided, because I just liked this book. I didn't know it was from the Bible. I didn't really even understand the point. Um... I decided I was going to copy all the words from this book in a letter and send it to my dad who was in prison. Okay? Again, I didn't know exactly what I was doing, but I did it. And as an adult now, I see that I was writing to my dad. My God was writing to my dad through me, a kid who had no idea what he was doing, a warning to my dad. And now as an adult, I see the difference between me as a father and my dad as a father. He has built his life in sand. I've built my life on a rock. It's not that I, because I've never gone to prison, that makes me better than my dad. The only thing that makes my life better is the fact that I built my life on Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? This is an important story. True belief, right action, solid outcomes. What's true belief? True belief is believing in the goodness and righteousness of God. God is the rock. That's it. God is the rock. You're going, if you want to know what it is, it's God. And he's saying, if you believe, truly believe that God is a solid rock, he's a firm foundation, he's something that you can base your life on, then what is right action? Somebody tell me, what's right action? It's digging. It's digging down and say, I want my life in God. Right action is going to build your life on Jesus, not build your life on church attendance, not build your life in, on I'm in a community group, not build your life on I give, not build your life on I didn't do this, that, or the other. It's I'm building my life on God, on God himself, him for his, his sake, his glory, his goodness. I'm doing it for him. All right? Uh, wives, okay? If the only time you love your husband is on Father's Day, okay? Like, good for you. But if you want to love your husband, you're going to love him for him, right? Because that's what love is about. But if you just love your husband for what he can give for you, or you just love your husband because, well, he provides for you and you just kind of want to thank him, that's not really love, is it? That's not really even a relationship. 
A relationship is a love for others for the sake of that person. Because you do, and that's what God wants from you. And that's what it looks like. And so when you build your life, so true belief that God is the rock, he is the worth building your life on, and you go through the right action of saying, I want every part of my life to be built on who God is and what God says on his truth, then comes solid outcomes. Comes solid outcomes. Anybody ever seen the movie Forrest Gump? Okay, great movie. Uh, you guys remember Lieutenant Dan? Lieutenant Dan, right? Like, so there's a scene where Lieutenant Dan makes a promise to Forrest Gump that he's like, he, he tells Forrest, if you ever own a shrimp boat company, you know, I'll come down there and I'll, I'll work for you, Forrest, or whatever. And it turns out he does, and he shows up in his wheelchair. Well, there's this scene where Lieutenant Dan gets up in the crow's nest, you know what I'm talking about, and a storm is going on, and he's out there just screaming and hollering. And you're right, he's just going nuts, and I think he's slightly drunk. Um, well, I want to read to you, the Apostle Paul does something very similar. And in the face of all of life's storms, a man named Paul, who is just intoxicated with the Spirit of God, who's built his life on God, sits up in the crow's nest and screams at the storm. And this is what he says from Romans chapter 8. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, interceding for me. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or people's opinions of us or whatever? He says, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. We don't just get through storms. We get through them and we bring others with us. We are sons and daughters of God. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, I don't care what comes to my life. Nothing's getting me off this rock. Nothing's going to separate me. And he's also saying, I don't care how good you think you are. You want to build over there in that sand? See you. When the storm comes, you will wash out. And if you go, well, I, you know, there's a lot of people like, well, look, they build their whole podcast about how tough they are. Nobody's tough enough to get past the perfect judge in heaven. Nobody. Nobody's getting past him because he's perfect. Guys, anybody want a life that could just scream at the storms and go, look, you're just here to make me better, but I'm not moving. The difference between Paul sitting in the crow's nest screaming at the storm and you sitting down in the hole, wrapping your arms around your knees, crying, you're afraid you're going to drown. The difference is one of you believes in God. The other one believes in your own abilities. That's it. And that's the difference between Christianity and every other religion, everyone. In Christianity, you have a relationship with God who's unstoppable. In every other religion, you have a relationship with your good deeds and you're hoping the best in them. It's that simple. Every Sunday. I say that all the time. I say every Sunday. I try to tell you guys that. But it's really hard, isn't it? Anybody think it's really hard? Because when the storm comes and the lightning is booming and things are not right and your marriage is falling apart and your business is falling apart and things, uh, you know, you hurt yourself or you're in debt or whatever the case may be, whatever your thing is, what's going on, when it comes, it's hard to think sober-mindedly. 
That's why we work hard to dig our life in every aspect of our life and put it on the foundation of God. Now, here's what I love about this. Let me just say this kind of as the end. Um, you know, as Christians, as Western Christians, we believe two lies. We're like, yeah, God could get me through every storm, but as a Western Christian, but, but at the same time, I'm not supposed to face any storms as a Christian, right? It's supposed to be like really easy and great. He's going to bless me and I'm a money and a suburban and whatever the things may be, right? Like, it's going to be nice. No, no, no. A Christian goes, hey, I expect storms to come. And actually, I embrace storms. I love that they come sometimes. I don't always love them, but James 1, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What is he saying? Guys, listen, it's possible as a Christian to build a big chunk of your life on God and then have all these other bits that are like, kind of like bridged out on the sand. And sometimes God will bring about a storm to tear those off your life, to remind you it's not about the money, to remind you it's not about sex, to remind you it's not about how good your business is, to remind you... It's not about what people think about you. And he'll bring a storm, and it has an amazing ability to cleanse our life and go, and bring us back to reality and go, oh, yeah. After that storm, I saw that the only thing that remained in my life were the things that were I was building my life on God. So, friends, I, here's, here's the point of the message. Man, the unstoppable life comes when you truly believe in God. You follow that with right action and put your faith in him. You build every aspect of your finances, your relationships, uh, your goals in life, your strategies, how you're going to get there, your education, what people think about you. Every, you put all of that and you say, I'm going to build on what God says first. You're going to do that, and it's unstoppable. It's also a good reminder to us, man, don't fall into the delusion that thinking that because you're good and because your house looks pretty, that it's going to withstand the storm on the sand. And it's also a reminder to the rest of us guys that there are people who want to break in and steal. There are, there are people who are wolves, and don't be one. Don't be deceived by them. So let me close with this. Um, the world, guys, listen, this is why it's so important that you devote yourself to the word of God. It's the reason why this thing, you should have one of these and it should be worn out because this is solid rock. And you know what's the thing, you know the thing about sand? What is sand, guys? It's little bitty rocks. It's little bitty rocks. The problem is it's these little bitty truths. The, the, the world's not crazy. They're not going out there going like, hey, did you know that elephants are purple? They're not coming out with crazy, crazy things. Now, some of it is crazy, and we go, that's crazy. But what they'll do is they're going to take some truth, they're going to package it in a way, uh, they're going to take a lie, and they're going to package it in some truth. But here's the thing about the world's truth. It's always disconnected and disjointed, and it can't sustain you. But if you build your life on what God's word says, you'll find that it'll always hold you up, always. So my encouragement to you guys is this. Don't be deceived. Don't be deluded. Man, be delivered. And the way you're delivered is by building your life in God. Don't be afraid of the storms. They're there to test you. Find joy in them and trust in the Lord. He will get you through everything. And if death comes to your life, guess what? When you meet Jesus, right, he's not going to accept you because you were a good guy. He's going to accept you because you're his guy or his girl, and he knows you. All right, Lord, I just thank you for this passage. A great reminder to all of us in this room who struggle to figure out whether or not we're Christians sometimes. I know I do. I just thank you, Jesus, that you remind us that it's not about whether or not we're good. It's not about the church attendance. Though all these things matter, it's about whether or not we have a relationship with you. I pray, God, wake us up. Wake my soul up. 
I can do a lot of good Christian things without you. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help my soul. I'm a pastor, but I'm also a deceiver. I'm also deluded. I'm sometimes very slow in my faith. And the fruit of the Spirit doesn't exist in me. And I know it's the same with my friends. So I pray, Father, that you would help us all get honest, get authentic, that we'd be teachable. That this would be a moment right now where, God, you would increase the fruit of the Spirit in us. I pray this is a moment where we would stop faking it and stop feeling like we have to fake it. But, God, I also pray that it's a moment that you would make it known to us that you want to have a relationship with us. Help our imagination see that you're sitting in the chair next to us. That on the cross, when you said it was finished, it means that you can sit next to us and say, it's okay. I love you. Trust me. So, Father, I pray for all my friends. There's some in this room who've been faking it for a very long time. Maybe been faking it for decades. They've been living in a delusion, thinking that because they attended church, they're okay. I pray right now, whether they think they have a faith or not, I pray that right now they say they they once again say, God, I trust you. God, if there's friends in this room who are holding on to sin, God, I pray that you would help them be authentic, to share that, knowing that they are forgiven. And it's not based on their good deeds or the bad deeds. It's based on their faith and trust in you. And I pray that they would have faith enough to confess those places in their life that are unsafe. And God, for those who are in the midst of a storm, I pray that you would hold their heart, that you would encourage them and exhort them and help them know that you are right there with them in the midst of the rain of the hail as all hell breaks loose against them I pray that you would show them that they can just hold on to you and you got them and no matter what anyone in this room is going through God we, we got to worship you you're worthy of our worship so as we stand to sing Lord may you be glorified amen let's stand and sing